Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. I planned this message during the last song. So, ah, yeah, you catch that? Not true. Um, that is uh, not a true thing. But uh, this is a really tough text that we'll be working through the second to last week in our time in 2 Corinthians as we've journeyed through both First and Second Corinthians letters that Paul wrote to the church. Very relevant. This one especially a little hard as we're going to read it to follow and understand. But God, uh, by his wisdom and grace, will br- bring us through what Paul is dealing with here in these people as we'll talk about uh, caring for one another in relationships today. Um, and so before we read from God's word, we're going to read verse 11 through 19. I make that designation there because verses 20 and 21, in most of our Bibles we have section headings, and 20 and 21 are included, but we're going to put that off till next week, um, and so we'll stop at verse 19. But we say this affirmation as a community of faith, and I was reminded by somebody asked a question, why do you say that every week? It can become repetitive. It very well can, but for me it's a heart about what we believe again about this book in a world that does not view this book as authoritative, in a spirit that can change our hearts. And so that's why we say this before we come to this time of just taking God's word seriously and living counterculturally. So let's say it if we believe it together. Our pursuit is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will follow the king into eternity. Sometimes I listen to little kids say that and I, they come up to me and recite it. And I just, it's, again, it can become repetitive, redundant. There can be no heart behind it as all things in our worship can be. But I pray that we would just follow the king right into eternity. Let's read from God's word, verses 11 through 19. This is what it says. Paul is continuing to defend his ministry against these false apostles. Uh, and he's continuing to care for the Corinthian church This is what it says in verse 11. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and I sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did he act? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Well, I pray for us as I read that text again and study this week, just looking at it going like, what is that saying? And God, by his grace, just uh, taught me about who Paul was in that. And I pray specifically as we come to God's word that you just pray about your relationships and how you operate in them and how you treat others. And so pray that God would get a hold of that and speak truth in your life. Let's pray together. God, we come before you and we want to hear your voice, your word, and this 
letter Paul wrote can be confusing at times and understand the context, and, and yet here he has a relational strain with the church, and he's pushing through because he cares about them, and I pray that we too, who care about many people, acknowledge relational strain, and that we would desire to be changed by you so that we could grow together for the purpose and glory of your name, and so that people would know who your son is. And it is in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, two words, messy relationships. You know about those? Messy relationships. If you are in relationship with anybody, often it can get messy because it can be hard and challenging. And in a world full of sinful people, two people getting along all the time, or even a church full of people getting along, somewhat seems like an impossibility, especially in our culture. And yet I've learned in all relationships, within my marriage, within my family, with my kids as a dad to them, within the church body as a whole, that if you're going to grow deeper with people, it's going to come by way and be forged in trial and fire and a lot of hard things along the way. As you desire deeper relationships, you're going to have them only by way of challenge often. And there'll be tension there. But God wants his people to work through tension in order to deepen love for one another so that we can highlight who Jesus is to the rest of the world. And the greatest temptation we will often face is to sin against one another. And we are convinced at times, wrongly convinced, that it's easier if we just walk away. I don't know if you identify with that, but you have a relationship with somebody that you've had strain with, and maybe that's happened already, and maybe by God's grace, he can repair and restore that. But sometimes we're just convinced it's easier just to walk away because I, I'm just sick of dealing about, with it and, and about that with that person. But for the sake of Christ, and this is what Paul is after in the broad sweeping overview of this text, he wants us to demonstrate what it takes to care for people, what it takes to love people as God has loved us. And so that's Paul's pastor's heart as he has a strained relationship with the Corinthian church. Now, Paul in the text here is continuing to defend, as I said, his apostolic ministry to the Corinthian church. They were swayed by these false teachers that they viewed as more intellectual and more gifted and more talented, and they were competing with Paul in that way. And they have accused Paul, and it's seen pretty clearly here by some accusations of deceitfulness and his motive and of his teaching, and his inability, and his authority, and all those things that pastors haven't heard at all in 2020. I know, amazing. And it's frustrating, right? And we can see that looking in, imagine, like, you can see the, like, context of, like, yeah, it looks like Paul's strained there, but imagine if you're living in it real time. And that's what I want us to do this morning as we think about our own relationships. You see, we look at this church in Corinth and we say, they're really messed up people. They don't get Paul because he's Paul. He's like a super apostle, even though we know that he's humble. He did have so much impact on the church in the first and second century. I mean, and continuing this day, he's amazing. And how come they don't get it? That's our problem at times in relationships. Sometimes we are super confused and we don't get it. You see, we are often blinded by our own perspective and relationships. You could fellowship today in the commons. You can talk amongst yourselves at any point in the day, and you can talk about a conflict you have with somebody and say, this is why I have a conflict, because of them, because this, this, this. And you're often blinded by your own perspective. 
And you see, Paul can't open their eyes fully to this. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. There's nothing that, that he can say and often nothing we can say to convince one another when there's some personal deep hurt that we have towards somebody. But what we can do and what Paul wants us to do is show love towards one another through our actions towards the way of Christ. Now, so Paul is a master teacher and a master modeler of genuine love and care. And he had the right to be very frustrated with the church at Corinth of the accusations that were being wielded towards him. He has every right. They were mean, disloyal, questioned his motive. He planted the church for crying out loud. He cared for them deeply. You see that his teaching was always for them and they did not value or respect his apostolic ministry, which was given to him by Jesus, by the way. That's what verse 11 is talking about. I'm not at all inferior to the super apostles. Jesus Christ met him on the road, changed his heart and life from a murderer to a follower of Christ, and then he, he gave him the apostolic ministry to go and move amongst God's churches. That was from Jesus himself. That was his letter of commendation. And Paul here, knowing that, kind of been defending that, in this section, what we see is while Paul had every reason to be annoyed with these people and walk away from them, he doesn't. He hangs in there for another round. You see, if we're being honest, sometimes it's just easier to walk away from difficult relationships. And this happens in many relationships. And it happens in the church often. People of God who are supposed to get this right to a world that's divided. And our world, amen, is divided. Amen just means I agree. It's not like we're celebrating that. It's divided. And the church, people have come in and started quarreling and divisions have happened. And the world's looking in. How does the church, the people of God who are transformed by God's grace, handle conflict in relationships? And we're supposed to get that right. Jesus taught his disciples that it is by our love for one another. That's what Jesus said, right? People will know you by our love. And he wasn't talking about just love for God. He was talking about love for people. How we handle things. And some of us, too many times, Christians at too many times, get offended far too easily and we're just willing to abandon relationships and walk away. So for me, this, this is kind of like a, a warning shot across the bow in some ways, but it's a, 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 a text that Paul will use to show us how he is working through this conflict. And that's kind of the, the overview. Paul demonstrates and models three things that you might not really see clearly, but you'll understand as we move through the, the text here of how to deal with conflict. And these are characteristics that he'll show us here that are obviously good and godly, but they're also completely necessary if you're going to have deep relationships with people, especially when conflict arises. And these are the three that we'll work through. You have to have these in relationships with one another. Any relationship, patience, perseverance, uh, as some translations will see that word, sacrifice, and honesty. Let's look at the first one together. First relationship Paul characteristic Paul displays here, you'll see it in verse, the second half of verse 12. As I said, he's already uh, defending his ministry in verse 11, and then he says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. You see, the, the identifier of apostleship was signs and wonders. They had two characteristics. One, you had to be 
like have known and met the resurrected Jesus, which the disciples Jesus told were spent time with him, they all did. Well, Paul came after that, but he met the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. And so Paul met him, and then he performed signs and wonders as apostle. As if to say, you've seen the wonder of the Holy Spirit and God's power working through the church through his ministry. And yet, what does he latch on to? The phrase I want you to see, he's done it and performed it with utmost patience. As if there's this attitude that Paul's saying, I've been with you, even though you've been opposed at times with that, even though you should have seen clearly what God was doing, I've done it with the utmost patience, or another translation says, perseverance. Paul wants to finish well in that He wants to work through it and invest with this people of God for the long haul because he knew in order to develop them towards Christ, he needed to do it with patience and perseverance. And the same would be true with us in relationships. If we're going to go the distance with people as we ought to, it's going to be done by way of patience and perseverance. I mean, really, who needs that in relationships right now? Would would it be fair to say that there's a lot of stressors that 2020 has brought about in relationships? Or would we just be fair to say like there has been zero emotion from any of us about this last year? It's heightened, right? Everything. There's been strain and quarreling and disagreement and all of that stuff. And so let me ask you this question. I'll ask you this question for each identifying characteristic. How is your patience in relationships? How is your patience level? Think about that. Are you patient in relationships? Now, Paul, as I read his challenge and try to feel what he must have felt with this church that was kind of being horrible towards him, he has every reason justifiably to walk away, but what he models is genuine patience and care. He wanted to persevere, to finish well. After all, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 would tell us that's one of the fruits, the things that comes, and it only comes if you're walking by the Spirit. If you're in step with God and you're in his word and he's convicting you of it. Now, we'll fluctuate from times by our default and the way that we're wired with our patience or impatience. And I, you, you know those people, right? Like when, when chaos happens, they're just super chill. Like they're just, they're relaxed. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, and they, you know, the jelly jar spills all over the kitchen and they're just like, ah, whatever, we'll clean it up. Transition relationships, Right. And then there's the people like one little thing, like, ah, you probably are one or the other side of that spectrum. Little things happen and your brain just fires and you have to bring yourself back down to earth before you explode. That's the extreme of patience, right? Some people are wired more towards this, a little more chill. Some people are wired the other way. And Paul says it's a signal of walking in the spirit. No matter your default, if you're in God's word and the spirit's moving, it's going to be a fruit that develops. And I know really patient people. Like, they, my wife is one of them. She's just like, she's just patient with people. And I'm like, Carrie, <laughs> let me sit you down and tell it how, how, you, how it is with them. Like, you know? And she just like shows me the other side. And it's been such a joy because I'm less patient. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. There's a reason why that's in there. And this from 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. I love this verse in ministry. I pray for it myself often. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'll just read it to you. These first ones you can understand. And we, this is Paul's counsel to the church in Thessalonica, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, those who aren't moving, 
Encourage the faint-hearted, those who are just weaken. Help the weak. But then this last part, be patient with them all. And I always read that verse in ministry. I go, God, seriously, like, you know who we're talking about, right? No, be patient with them all. And that's what Paul's pastoral heart is. It's what we read in Colossians 3 when Fiona read taking off the old self that wants to treat people meanly and rudely and put on meekness and humility and compassion and forgive one another, bearing with one another. That's exuding its definition right there in patience, bearing with one another. Do you know what life would be like with God if he were not patient with us? Think about that. Think about that. We, we lack patience with one another, but it's all through the lens of the gospel. Do you know what life would be like if God was not patient with us? Do you know what life would be like for us if God was not forgiving of us? Do you know what life would be like if God did not forbear the nonsense we come up with? And it's nonsense. I think of Jesus when he walked with the disciples on earth. Can you imagine how annoyed he was with them? Think about this. He's teaching them and the Son of God is pouring into them. And they get to the, the thousands of people sitting on the hillside and they're like, no, we don't have a Chick-fil-A next door. We don't have enough food. What are we going to do? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll create something because I'm God. Faithless one. Oh, can we, can we call down fire from heaven and just like blow that city up because they're evil? Maybe we'll take a different approach. Can you imagine what life would be like with God if he wasn't patient with us and forgiving? We have to see that through the gospel lens when we have relationships with other people. Think about how patient you are or are not and ask God to show himself to you in this. We need his grace. It's always about a relationship first with the Father before it's about relationships with others. So that's the first thing. Paul bears with these people and he says, I'm going to do it with utmost patience. The second thing we see is sacrifice. That Paul knew what sacrifice was about in ministry and in relationships. This is what we see through verse 13 all the way down to the first part of 16. It says, for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. He's being sarcastic in that. Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you and I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up their parents, but parents for their children. Paul was a spiritual father to the church. And then look at verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. But granting that I myself did not burden you. Paul had every right to burden the people of God with support for fundraising and ministry, and he doesn't do it. These people are really annoying to Paul in ministry. And you can see that through the text. And he has every right to be upset and frustrated. And yet he says, I am coming for you. I want to spend myself, sacrifice, and be spent for what? For their souls. Here's a man that was going the distance as we ought to go in relationships with other people because he cared so much about their soul. Paul has this right to expect the people of the church to support him in ministry to financially support and he doesn't require it. It's like you and I in our relationships, sometimes we feel like we are owed something, don't we? Because when something's stolen from us, whether it's sin or something, you owe me. 
And we will keep that account open with people for a long time. That they will owe us a debt that often people cannot repay because of the way we viewed it. And Paul makes this case that he could make for that, but what does he do? He doesn't cash in on it. Why? Because he knows about sacrifice. He has has the bigger picture in mind with these people. And so you could say he's willing to take a hit, if you will, for the sake of their souls and the unity of the bond of peace as that Colossians 3 text alludes to. And so I ask you, how are you sacrificing in your relationships? Now, what is sacrifice by definition? If you go Google it, you can get a pretty good definition like this one, and I think it's pretty good. It's the act of giving up something you want, love, or desire in order to get or accomplish something else or to help somebody. So you are giving up something you want in order to get something different And in this case for Paul, he was giving up that support and he was getting over all of their fleshly annoyances in order to care for their soul and for them to see Jesus. Every right to walk away. And he wants to honor God in a bigger way. Now, I love baseball. And some of you think I'm crazy because, like, how can you sit and watch baseball? It's a beautiful game. And I say that only the people that grow closest to God love baseball. Let that sink in. Such an intricate game. Well, one of the qualities and characteristics or the skills and tactics in baseball, small ball, when you use bunt sacrifices, safety squeeze, you put a bunt down in order for a runner to advance to a base or in most cases uh, when you're doing something really urgent to get a runner to score over home and to lay down a bunt. Now, I remember in eighth grade, I played baseball on a travel team and I played with a teammate of mine named Chris Ree. And Chris Ree was one of the fastest guys I knew. And Chris was on third base, and guess who was up to bat? Yes, you guessed it, me, knucklehead. And so I'm up to bat, and the coach gives the signals for what I now know was for a sacrifice bunt. That I would get thrown out, but the game was tied, and Chris, speedy guy, was going to come home. And so I step out of the box, I look down to the third base coach, and he gives me all the signals, you know, the ones that are like all over this, can't do it during COVID, touch your face, lick your face, all that stuff. And he gives me all the signals, and I'm like, got it, and I step back in the box, pitch comes in. No, I don't do that at all, because I got the wrong signal. And I see Chris out of the corner of my eyes, booking it down the third base line. I just look at the ball, Chris gets Booking it down the line. Catcher has the ball in that situation. What's he going to do? Chris is now caught in the pickle. The pickle. If you've ever seen the Sandlot, you know. It's the worst thing in baseball. Getting caught in a rundown. Chris is super fast, running back and forth. Eventually, Chris does the unthinkable, which is super hard in baseball, and he gets out of the pickle. And he's back at third base, and he's breathing heavy, and he's staring at me. (laughs) He's pretty mad. Coach is looking at me like, I'm looking at him like, just saw this whole thing real time and and unfold, right? And I'm like, I think I made a mistake somewhere. (laughs) So I look down and I get the signal again, thinking like, I don't know what's going to happen. Baseball, like you've already shown your hand. I get the signal and I clearly see the bunt signal again. All right? So I get back in the box and the pitch comes in and I square up the bunt and I didn't like the pitch. (laughs) So I pull back. Hits the catcher's mitt. And I see out of the corner of my eye, Chris is booking it down the line again. And I step out of the box. You got to remember, like, I step out of the box like, I've seen this once before. 
Chris gets caught in a pickle again. He's exhausted. Catcher's throwing the whole team. You know, the whole outfield comes in. The hot dog guy comes in at that point. He's in the rundown. And Chris is then again, miraculously out of the pickle, standing on third base, exhausted. And he's looking at me. And the coach is looking at me. And they're furious. And I'm thinking at this point, it's probably better if I call my mom. We didn't have cell phones back then. Could you just come and pick me up in the middle of the at-bat? You see, I failed to sacrifice. And here's why I failed. The first time, I didn't get the signal right. I didn't hear what I ought to have done. But the second time I had the signal, I knew what was right, but I failed to do it. I flinched. I chose not to. The same is true about our relationships. As Christian people, first thing, do we get the signal right? Do you hear God saying, I sacrifice for you, you need to sacrifice for others. Do you hear the signal? And some of us haven't heard that. Maybe you're hearing that for the first time today. But when you hear it, then the Christian who knows what I ought to do in relationships gets in there, and the question is whether you're going to flinch or not. Christian people can be so mean to one another and so unforgiving to one another. I wonder how many times we flinch in our relationships. And the Chris Rees of those life, our lives just booking it down and chaos and, and chaos ensues. If you know, you watched a baseball game, you know what I'm talking about. It is not a fun thing. And that's what happens in relationships when the signal is missed and when people flinch. Chaos and disaster ensues. Now, in the Old Testament, sacrifice was a command of God. It was the signal. I want you to sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, I would argue that it's not really different in the New Testament because it points to the ultimate sacrifice. But in the Old, people gave tithes and possessions and animals. And you read Leviticus and you're like, whoa, that's crazy. And they sacrificed. But it was a symbol of surrender to God. Why? Two reasons. One, he was worthy of it. And two, because it was a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice in the love of Christ at the cross. So all through the Old Testament, all these weird sacrifices that you can go back and read about, all point to Jesus as God is saying, you who are not worthy of it, I have laid down my life's, the son's life for your life because you couldn't. And so let me ask you this important question. Pick the relationship you're struggling the most right now. It very well could be the person you're sitting next to. And you feel like you just give and give and give if that's how you feel, and they take and take and take. How often do you think of the cross when you're frustrated like that in one of those relationships? Maybe it's your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter, someone at work, someone in this church. How often do you put the cross in full view of that relationship as in what God gave up for you? Yes, I know. You, like me, are probably thinking of that, like, you're probably owed something. But wasn't God a life of perfection instead of rebellion? Isn't God? And yet, because of his love and grace, he sacrifices his one and only son, the son he loved, sends him to the cross to bleed and die for our sin because we can't repay the debt. And so, in order to truly love, we have to think about the gospel in that way, that God loved us and get that signal right. And that's what I want you to hear, especially if you have never heard it before, that God loves you, not because you're good, 
but because he's good and he's given the ultimate sacrifice for your sin so that you can know him and live forever with him. That's the signal. And when we get it, we can't flinch in our relationships one to another. We need to obey. We need to follow through. We don't get to pull the bunt back because look what they did to me. I sit with people all the time. You don't know what they did. I say, I probably could guess. I've heard it all. It's pretty bad. But are you going to pull the bat back? Or are you going to, like Jesus, walk towards him because of what he's done for us? Sacrifice, the third one, necessarily, is honesty. Now you say, that looks a little different than the other two. But here's what Paul does in verses the last half of verse 16 through 18. He says, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. That's the accusation they're wielding against him. And then he proceeds to unpack rhetorical questions. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? You say, well, what is that? He's just asking a bunch of questions. What does that have to do with honesty? He's being accused of deceitfulness. And like many in relationships, when we're accused of things, we could say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... In this case, Paul was right, and they were wrong. He said, did I do that? And he was honest, and he wasn't scared of the truth. Like many of us are scared of telling the truth in relationships. You see, we're fearful, but often in relationships, and you have to know this, and I know you understand it, when we're in conflict with somebody, we are often, as I said, blinded and disillusioned to the reality of what's really happening. It happens all the time, and then little things Satan does to be like, see, they, they don't like you, they're treating you this way, they lie, they, all this stuff, and you get this twisted perception of reality. And when we're angry, there's conflict. We're clouded with judgment. Satan has a field day with this stuff. He twists and lies. What's needed is the truth. How honest are you in conflict? Now, you could stop there and say, well, I struggle with that. I don't always share. Again, we talk about this in church all the time. It's grace and love. And sometimes some of us are heavy truth tellers. And some of us are heavy with grace and love. But what Jesus was full of was both of them. And we need both. Now, I'm bent towards truth-telling, so in my relationships, they come off a little sharper at times because I'm not afraid to share the truth. But where God challenges me and wants to change me, and he is doing it slowly, but to be more gracious and loving. I always say things that people that are new visit here, and they're like, ah, pastor. (laughs) That's the thing. When there's conflict, we have to be able to speak truth and hear truth. Jesus said it as a prayer for the disciples, sanctify them In what? Truth. Your word is truth. There needs to be honesty in relationships at times, even firm honesty. Well, say, what about patience and sacrifice? It sounds like you're talking about something different. It doesn't mean you get run over by delusions either. Well, say, you don't know the crazy people I deal with. Oh, trust you. Trust me, I know them. I've met them too. But there's a balance to go to the distance with people. Will I say truth that needs to be heard, but will I love and sacrifice, and be patient with for the good of the gospel. You see, the gospel, when we think about it, is love, right? God's love at the cross displayed through the death on the cross, the life surrendered to us, but the gospel is not void of truth. The whole need for the gospel is that we were caught and dead in sin, and that that our hearts were ruined without God, that we needed to repent and turn back towards God. That is truth. It's a bad situation, but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to die for that so that you and I could live. 
And if you and I are going to have good and lasting relationships, they need to have the whole gospel in view. Will I be patient? Will I sacrifice? As the Lord has sacrificed to me, and will, when needed, will I be honest and truthful? There's more that I could say about all this, but as I close, there's two more important things that you see in the last verse here. Really aren't characteristics, but it's a really good landing spot for us. And as we transition to the Lord's Supper, they're both found in verse 19. Let me read that verse for us. Paul goes on, have you been thinking, as if like, wake up. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? Which you'd say he was, but here's what he does. He points these two things out. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. In other words, these two things are true. It is in the sight of God, reverence for God and a responsibility to edify the church. In other words, Paul says, whatever you think about what's going on, we have an account to God. And that's what I want you to hear about your relationships today. You have these relationships in full sight of God, which means if you're unforgiving towards a brother or sister, if you're harboring bitterness towards somebody, God sees that in plain view in your heart. You can't hide that stuff. And do you have reverence for God enough to turn back towards that relationship for the glory of God and repair and restore? And the second thing is, as a part of a church family, your responsibility is to edify the church, the people of God, what Paul says there, for the upbuilding of the beloved, especially within quarrels in a church family, in your relationships, but especially here, remember that we are living this out in the sight of God. And in a response to our church family, it ought not be that of a consumer or a taker, but we actually have a calling to come into this place, a duty to edify and build up the body of Christ. So let me ask you as we close, what am I doing to edify the people of real hope, the people around me? Am I building it up rather than just being stagnant or am I tearing it down? And think about that in all of your relationships in the view of the gospel, especially now as we come to the table and share this meal in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, we need your grace. I have no doubt there's things going on in our spirits, our souls about relationships with one another. And God, I'm just asking for you to work in our hearts and lives to move towards people instead of away from them. And Father, as we gather around this table this morning, it is a symbolic meal that is about love and unity. And the ultimate sacrifice is what we remember in taking this meal together. And so, Father, I pray for all of our relationships in light of this gospel memorial that we're celebrating here, that the gospel is still active and working, and that you want to change our hearts to make us more patient people, make us more sacrificial people, and to keep truth at the center of all of our relationships. And so God, help us in that. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.